So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things, the conviction of things not seen. So this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and we're going to be going through verses 1 through 11. Um, Hebrews 11 is often called the Hall of Faith, and we're going to take a look at a, a few of these heroes of the Hall of Faith this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and start making your way over there. I'll give you a, a little uh, introduction before we start. In the Bible, the word faith and trust have a very similar meaning. And often people will use the words interchangeably. Merriam-Webster defines faith as belief and trust in and loyalty to God. In the Bible, there's no real practical difference between faith and trust. In the Bible, for the most part, the two are synonymous. Any differences that exist really are very fine. The Old Testament more often uses the word trust rather than faith. It's the Hebrew word batak, which means to be confident or sure. In fact, the Old Testament uses this word 120 times, where the New Testament most often uses the Greek word pistis, which is translated as faith. Pistis means trust, confidence, or faith, with a connotation of belief based on the reliability of the one trusted. Now, you'll notice that pistis encompasses the Hebrew idea of trust as well. So why am I putting such a fine point on this, you might ask? Because in our modern idea of faith, in Western civilization, Western thought, we have a very different meaning for faith than what the biblical meaning for faith is. In our modern use and meaning of the word faith, oftentimes we're simply just saying, yeah, we, we intellectually agree with that particular premise or idea. But we have no more commitment to the idea than just that. The Bible, the Bible's meaning of the word is so much more than that. In Hebrews, we're told faith is defined as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith involves trusting in something you can't explicitly prove. But remember, this faith is inseparable from trust, the conviction in the confidence that God can and will do what he says in his word. Faith includes both intellectual assent and trust in it. So we believe something to be true, and we also place our trust in it. We rely on it. For example, by faith we recognize a chair is designed to support us if we sit on it, right? Trust demonstrates that faith by actually sitting in the chair, right? So it's one thing to say, I have faith that that chair will support me, but sitting in it confidently proves that you do, right? You trust in it. Faith without trust is not biblical faith. Belief without reliance is empty. Many people believe certain facts about Jesus. 
But knowing those facts to be true is not what the Bible means by faith. The biblical definition of faith requires trust in a commitment to the facts. Another example of the relationship between faith and trust is called the trust fall. You know what that is, right? You've heard of that, the trust fall? That's like, you know, when you were a kid with your friends, you would, um, you would have them catch you as you fell backwards, trusting that they would, they would not let you hit the ground, right? That they would keep you from falling. The act of falling, as the name uh, implies, is trust. You demonstrate the faith you have in your friends. So it's the same with God. That same trust in God is a core part of our biblical faith. All right, one more example. You have faith that this service is going to end at 11 a.m., right? Right? Okay, now, let me ask you. Show of hands. How many of you have a breakout plan just in case it runs over? I know all those trips to the bathroom during the last prayer are not, you know, not necessarily that, right? So you got a plan in place. That isn't trust, right? <laughs> so regarding Hebrews 11.1, 1, uh, there's an interesting quote here. Pastor Chuck Smith once said, there are many things that we believe in that we don't and haven't seen. We believe in the wind, though we haven't seen the wind. We see the effects of the wind. We see the trees that are bowing in its, to its force. We see the leaves that are blowing. We see the dust that is being carried. We see the evidence of it. You can feel it. We say, oh, that's a cold, biting wind. Or we say, oh, that one's one of those warm Santa Anas. And you feel the wind, you see the evidence of it, and thus we believe in the wind, though we don't actually see the wind itself. He goes on to say, I see evidence of God. I feel the presence of God. I feel the power of God. I feel the love of God. And I see the evidence of God's existence, and thus faith. I believe in the existence of God, though I'd, I've never seen God. Yet, I do not doubt his existence because of the evidence that is all around. Faith, the substantiating of the things that are hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And about evidence, I want us to think about this. This is from Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. The Lord tells us, and, and let this thing sink in a little, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Faith comes from God. And one of the ways God strengthens our faith is to remind us of his faithfulness. He does that by recounting the things that he's done. He's done that several times in Scripture, where he gives us a list of all the things that he has done. Another way to strengthen our faith is to walk with others who are faithful. 
to walk with others who are faithful. And the rest of chapter 11 is a summary of the, the lives of the great men and women of faith found in the Old Testament. And in each instance, we see that the same elements of faith are present. God spoke to them through his word. They were stirred by God. They obeyed God. And God bore witness to them. So let's begin by going back up to uh, verse 1. We're going to go through verses one, uh, 1 through 3 in Hebrews 11. And it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. It isn't a definition of faith, but it's really a good description of what faith does and how it works. True faith doesn't blindly follow without using reason and sense. But neither is it just intellectual assent. And it isn't believing in spite of the evidence. That would just be superstition. True biblical faith is being confident and trusting God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. This faith operates simply. God speaks and we take his word to heart. We trust his word and act on it no matter what the consequences. The circumstances may seem impossible. The consequences might be scary. But we obey God because we believe he will do what is right and what is best. The unsaved world doesn't get that. The unsaved world doesn't get that. Faith is not some feeling that we might imagine in our heads. True faith is our total response to what God has revealed. Three words in Hebrews 11.1 1 summarize what true Bible faith is. These three words, assurance, hope, and conviction. The word translated assurance means literally to stand under, to support. Faith is to a Christian what a foundation is to a house. It gives confidence and assurance that it will stand. In other words, faith is the confidence of things hoped for. When a believer has faith, it is God's way of giving him confidence and assurance that what is promised will be experienced. The word hope simply means to expect or trust. This is the inward conviction from God that what he has promised, he will deliver. The presence of God-given faith is one's heart is... It is the, the presence of God-given faith in one's heart is conviction enough that he will keep his word. And then conviction meaning we know it in our bones. We know it in our bones. Our physical eyesight produces a conviction or evidence of visible things. Faith is the organ which enables us to see the invisible things. It said, for by, for by it the people of old received their commendation. 
Interesting that we are given a list of Old Testament believers as examples of faith to model ourselves by. First, it's important to note the Old Testament saints, that's believers before Jesus, right, were saved the same way New Testament believers are, by faith. It's always been by faith, trusting God, not knowing how God was going to make them righteous, not understanding God's full redemptive plan for humanity through Jesus, but trusting God would somehow accomplish his will and plan for humanity. And second, these Old Testament examples of faith were perfect in their imperfection. Let me say that again. They were perfect in their imperfection. They were regular people, just like you and me. They made mistakes. They had moments of doubt. They sinned. They screwed up. Verse 3 said, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. We weren't around to see God create the universe, but by faith we know he created it. Everything about it, its perfect symmetry and balance and all its mysteries from black holes to solar nurseries, they all cry out of an intelligent creator. Did you know that the very discipline of modern scientific discovery and methodology was created by the church? It was. It was created by the church. Why? It was started with the belief that if we could understand more about how God created our reality, we could better know the God who created it. God created us uniquely from all the other animals in his creation. God gave us the capacity to ask why and who. Why and who. In other words, we are the only creatures on this planet that question our existence. Out of all his creation on earth, we are the only ones who have the capacity to ask, why? For what purpose? Science was created with the goal of answering the, the what, where, when, and how, so that in theology we could better understand the who and the why, God. Now, it's important to note this letter and these examples were first given to the early uh, Jewish Christians because they had been discouraged and they were thinking of giving up on Jesus and the distinctiveness of Christianity. It was hard in, first, in the first century, particularly in Israel, if you were a believer in Jesus, it was hard because to the rest of the Jewish community, you were dead to them. You weren't allowed to trade. You weren't allowed to do business. You weren't allowed to socialize. Oftentimes, uh, you uh, went without. You were impoverished because of that. Life was hard, and it was difficult for them to stand by their faith. They needed these examples of faith to break them out of the discouragement. May we also find encouragement from these examples of these Old Testament saints. So let's get into some of these people of faith. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, by faith, 
Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his face, though he died, he still speaks. Cain and Abel, these were the sons of Adam and Eve. And we have read about this encounter before in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. But this passage is where we get a deeper idea of what was really going on in this encounter with God. It wasn't the choice of sacrifice that Abel made that pleased the Lord. It's that Abel's sacrifice was made by faith. Abel's sacrifice was preferred to his brothers for no other reason than it was sanctified by his faith and trust in the Lord. Abel had the right heart towards God. Cain did not. Faith is the most vital part of our relationship with the Lord. In fact, we can't have a relationship without it. No matter what good deeds we do, we can't please God without faith. Cain knew God was real, but rather than approaching him on God's terms, Cain did so on his own terms, not trusting in the Lord, but instead on his own worthiness, and God didn't approve. We can't just be good and think we can earn our way to heaven. We can't. God owes us nothing. If we remember anything, it's God owes us nothing, nothing. Ephesians chap, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace, that's good, getting good things you don't deserve. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. In other words, not a result of anything we've done, so that no one may boast, so that we can't take credit, so that we can't claim he owes us anything. We go around, you know, being religious, attending church on Sundays, volunteering our service, even giving money. But if we aren't in a personal faith-trusting relationship with the Lord, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Real Christianity is, real Christianity is nepotism is what it is. Real Christianity is truly a case of not what you know, but who you know. Right? Verse 5 and 6. By faith... Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him. Or whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We learn about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. And it's interesting because Enoch never died. Instead, he was taken up by the Lord when he was 65 years old, never to be seen from again. He was the father of Methuselah. You've heard of that name, right? Methuselah. You know, people say sometimes, man, that dude is old as Methuselah, right? 
Well, that's from the Bible. Methuselah was the longest living person recorded in the Bible. He lived to the ripe old age of 969. 969. Again, in this example, Enoch, the scripture reaffirms, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You kind of catching a theme developing here? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The more time we spend in fellowship with God, the stronger our faith grows. And I want to emphasize that. The longer we stay in fellowship with God, the stronger our faith grows. The more, the stronger. We've got to have both the desire to please Him and the regular commitment to seek Him. We can do this by daily prayer and worship, spending regular time in Scripture, in the Bible, and by fellowship with each other, like we're doing this morning, like we do, like we do life together. Many of us do life together all week, right? I like to think of this idea as kind of like a, a three-legged stool. If any of these elements is missing, it's like a three-legged stool missing one of its legs. What happens if a three-legged stool loses a leg? It falls over, right? We need those three elements to stay spiritually healthy. And this all requires discipline. Discipline. This helps us in our walk with God. Enoch walked with God in a time when the world was extremely wicked. Extremely wicked. His faith and his relationship with the Lord carried him through it. We like to think that we live in the most wicked time, but I'm sad to report that it's not. <laughs> we, have, we have been living alongside wickedness and, uh, in varying degrees and since the beginning. And there has been some awful times in human history. Enix was one of those. In verse 7 it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I love this because Noah's faith is credited to him even though he was partly motivated by fear. But it wasn't fear of people that motivated Noah. It was a reverent fear of God. He was warned by God and he acted on that. Some Christians think we shouldn't fear God if he loves us and we love him. And that's true as far as that goes. But reverent fear is a little bit different. Reverent fear isn't motivated by what he will do to us, but by fully knowing what the God of the universe is capable of doing. Reverent fear may better be expressed as respect. We know what God is capable of and we respect his power and his majesty. Noah's actions must have created a lot of interest in, and probably ridicule as well. His faith influenced his whole family, and they were all saved. But it also condemned the world because his faith also revealed their unbelief. Events proved that Noah was right. And Jesus uses Noah's experience to warn people to be ready of his own return in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 42. 
In Noah's day, the people were involved in innocent everyday activities and completely ignored Noah's witness and his warning. 2 Peter 2.5 tells us, He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as his inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, his sons and grandson. Heir with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to that city that was that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham. I love Abraham. He's a character, and, and I got a lot of confidence in, in my own spiritual walk from Abraham. Abraham, the founding father of the Jewish nation, nation of Israel, was a man of great faith and obedience to the will of God. His name in Hebrew means father of a multitude, Originally called Abram, or Exalted Father, the Lord changed his name to Abraham as a symbol of the covenant promise to create a great nation of his descendants from whom God would call his own. All Abraham had to do was obey God and do what God told him to do. Abraham is the, the great patriarch of Israel. And to the New Testament believers, he is the father of us as well. Romans 4, uh, 16 tells us that. God visited Abraham on several occasions, and he spoke to him numerous times, once in a vision and once in the form of three visitors. And scholars believe that the mysterious king of peace uh, uh, or king of righteousness, Melchizedek in Scripture, that He's the one who blessed Abram and to whom Abram gave a tithe. That he may have actually been a Christophany. In other words, a physical manifestation of a pre-incarnate Christ. Once Abraham carried out a brave rescue of his nephew Lot when he was taken captive during a battle. God tested Abraham severely on more than one occasion. And Abraham demonstrated extraordinary faith trust, and obedience in the will of God. He was well-respected and successful in his occupation. He also had the courage to face down enemies. And yet, and yet, Abraham showed an incredible lack of faith at times. He agreed to sleep with a servant girl in order to help God along in fulfilling his promise to Abraham that he would give him a son through his wife, Sarah. He lied twice to prominent kings about Sarah. Um, he threw her under the bus by telling them she was his sister, not his wife. Why? Because he was afraid they'd kill him in order to take her as their own. Apparently, Sarah was very desirable. In each case, God had to intervene and go Abraham's bail. Intermixed with Abraham's great faith, were periods of great doubt, fear, and deceit. 
The reason Abraham is such an encouragement to me is I can relate to him on so many levels. Maybe you can too. Like Abraham, I can have moments of great faith and I can have moments of great doubt, great fear. But in spite of these shortcomings, God used Abraham in mighty ways. Isn't it amazing? He's included here in the hall of faith. Abraham, the screw-up, the liar, the fearful one. He's included in this great hall of faith. In spite of these shortcomings, God used Abraham in mighty ways. One crucial lesson we can learn from Abraham is that God can and will use us in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our weaknesses. God will even stand by us and rescue us from our foolish mistakes. The Lord is greatly pleased by our faith when we're willing to obey him. Like most of us, Abraham came to the full realization of God's purpose and promise only after a long period of time. His faith growth was a journey. It took years of experience and history with the Lord for Abraham to fully come into his faith. It's like that with us as well, isn't it? We grow in faith as we experience God's faithfulness in our lives. We grow in faith as we experience God's faithfulness in our lives. God isn't looking for perfect Christians. He's looking for willing ones. Verse 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful whom had promised. Sarah had a rocky faith start as well. Initially, she laughed at God's promise that she would have a child with Abraham, and this child would be the child of promise to Abraham, that a great nation would, would be dedicated to God himself of her, of her offspring. Sarah was already well past childbearing age. Furthermore, when she grew impatient waiting on the Lord, she encouraged Abraham to go sleep with her younger servant in order to produce, in order to produce that offspring. It didn't work out well, and it ended up complicating their lives considerably with a son named Ishmael, whom God rejected. God said he would give the child of promise to Sarah. It would come from Sarah. And ultimately, Sarah's faith matured as well, and she stood on the promises given to Abraham and bore a child despite her advanced age. She had heard the stories of God appearing to Abraham and faithfully walked with her husband throughout. Now, after being chastised for her lack of faith through her laughter, she saw the effects of how a holy and sovereign God provides all the things he promises. Out of a barren womb, God produced life. Furthermore, this child would represent the future of the people of God, being the source of life for generations to come. Jesus came from this line. For this older couple, the idea of Abraham being the father of many nations seemed laughable, almost cruel. But God, out of an abundance and ability, produced life in Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, having been promised an impossible child, 
stood in the faith that God could do anything he declared. Additional Old Testament names listed in this chapter um, as heroes of the faith are Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Moses led his people out of Egypt. The Israelites who crossed the Red Sea, who trusted God to part the Red Sea. Rahab, the prostitute. Gideon, Gideon, who was hiding in his field from the Midianites, least of his, least of his, his uh, clan. God appeared to and called him mighty warrior. Gideon's like, I think you got the wrong guy. He's hiding from the Midianites who are trying to steal his grain. But he became a great warrior. Samson, Barak, Jephthah, Samuel, the prophets. I would encourage us to go back and read their full stories in Scripture. The world's opinion of these heroes of faith was a low one. So many were persecuted and arrested and tortured and in some cases killed. But God's opinion was something entirely different and his opinion is the only one that matters. The Apostle Paul is a good illustration of this truth. Festus, so he said to Paul, Paul was out of his mind in Acts 26, 24. The Jewish leader said Paul was not fit to live, Acts 22, 22. Paul himself said he was treated like the filth of the world in 1 Corinthians 4.13. Yet Paul, Paul was God's chosen vessel, one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived. And yet, and yet, none of these people were perfect. None of these people were perfect. The Bible doesn't try to hide that fact from us. On the contrary, Oftentimes, the Bible highlights and underscores the truth of their imperfections. Why is that? God isn't looking for perfect Christians. He's looking for willing ones. God isn't looking for perfect Christians. He's looking for willing ones. God doesn't expect perfect faith. But if we trust in him just a little bit, just a little bit. He will continue to build our faith and grow our faith and use us. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your examples of faith uh, from the Old Testament. Lord, we're, we're so grateful to see that you use us um, you use us in spite of us, not because of us, Lord. And we're so grateful that you care enough about us to use us in your redemptive plans, Lord, to minister to other people, um, to represent you here, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would just grow our faith, increase our faith, help us to walk in a life worthy, uh, worthy of you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.